It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I found a surf instructor out of Malibu and I called him up and I said, look, I need to learn how to surf in three to four weeks. Can you help me? Welcome to Ladies First with Laura Brown. I'm Laura Brown, editor-in-chief of InStyle Magazine, and each week I'm talking to a legendary lady about what she does, how she does it, what we can learn from her. Kate Bosworth fell off a horse when she was four years old, but since then, she's been hitting her stride. You want to get something done, this is the gal to do it. Kate Bosworth. Laura. Kate Bosworth, welcome to Ladies First. Thank you, Laura, my mate. I want to talk about you, obviously. Where did we meet? Through some fashion thing, right? I mean, it was so many, so many years ago now. Just so many years, Laura. (laughs) What are you now? You're in your 20s. I was, I'm 38 now. We had to have met when I was like 21 or 22, for sure. When you were doing your, your, like probably your first fashion twirlings. But I remember you, and again, my memory is not clear on where we were because a lot of those events and things tend to Mm, turn into into a bit of of morass of the soul. But... You had struck me because and you were and are very much a fashion's preferred girl. I remember going, okay, this is, you know, well, there's always the girl who's in the front row and who's dressed up in the stuff, and that's all fine and well and good. But then I got talking to you and I went, oh, oh, look what's in there. And a real uh, solidity that you have and a real great perspective that you have that you can go through sort of machinations of a business and show up and do it and enjoy it, but you don't really take it home with you you see around it. When I think about something with you, I think about you as a producer and how you just get stuff done that I I can't, you know, quite conceive. So um, so let's start from... Hmm. Well, I was going to say, but the feeling okay, is so talk. mutual. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Thank you. No, the feeling is so mutual. I mean, I think that like, you know, in, in, in the world of fashion, as we both know, um, you know, there's this kind of artifice that exists and it's part of what we love because it's the, it's the fantasy of, of fashion, but you and I are both like tap, 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 knock, knock, get through that artifice, get in there. I want to get deep, you know? And I think that like, that's, you know, you and I recognize that so immediately in one another that we were like, Oh, you're a, you're a deep diving yeah, girl. You're the, you know? you're the antidote. i mean i always know my people when we're in those kind of crazy rooms and i see you and i'm like the seas part and i'm like laura and we end up actually i mean this is not an exaggeration we end up kind of mounting each other often (laughs) i know there's just like a leg that just starts to go (laughs) there's just so much love it's like I mean, you're right. It is animalistic. It's like, I can't help it. <laughs> well, I am a farmer's daughter. Or maybe I'm the cow in this situation. You and I are both that way. We're so tactile. Like, I just want to wrap myself. I remember actually even said, I, there's like an Instagram that I put up a couple of years ago where I was like, when, when I knew that we were going to be in the same place, I said, get ready for like the biggest squeeze of all time. Get ready for a potential violation. But don't worry. <laughs> I asked permission. 
So tell me this, actually, uh, you put something up on your Insta, a throwback asking your followers to choose which of your roles, right, was their favourite. I didn't sort of see the results. So tell me, what did you put up and what was the feedback? Well, gosh, I've been doing this thing for so long now. I mean, I started when I was 14, which is so crazy. And I, I love so much the age that I am because I have the perspective of being older and more experienced and and yet also can kind of look back in the rear view with fondness. And, and there's, there's a sense of nostalgia for these roles for me now, you know? And so I don't know, I was, I suppose I was just in that kind of m- mood where I thought, oh, I wonder what people, I, I wonder what they'd respond to. So I, I just put up a couple of different roles. Someone, some were very much in the past, like obviously blue, blue crush was the first one and everyone always responds, you know, so, so much to that, which it's I always 20 call years, blue- right? Almost. Yeah. Well, because here's the thing. So I moved out. I was doing kind of bit parts and things um, when I was a teenager. And I was very much an M still, but, you know, in high school, a very normal kid. You know, like I, I wasn't in the performing arts. I didn't have parents in the biz. You know, I, it wasn't, it wasn't like that. You know, I was like everybody. I wanted to be liked. I felt really anxious all the time. It was coming of age. So I, I was like an avid reader and would constantly have my face in a book. And that was sort of my escape into character and creativity and imagination first and foremost before acting. And then I, I was given the opportunity to audition for a movie called The Horse Whisperer with, you know, Robert Redford directed it and he starred in it. Just goes like and... this, just like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Oh God, I'm so scared of this next hour. The thing is, is that I've been an equestrian pretty much my whole life. Like when I was four years old, I first got on a horse. I was kicked off, you know, sort of that like quintessential uh, classic story of I was kicked off. Go back on. Got back. And when it was, I remember this so clearly where I was like, you know, my my aunt who was leading the horse was like horrified because it was like a terrible accident. And I got back up and I was like, okay, well, let's, you know, let's do this. And which is, as you know, like very much. Let's do this. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, to, to bring it back even further to birth, Laura. <gasps> Let's do this, she says. On ent- I, <laughs> the, the I entered the world like this. I doubt it not. <laughs> so, for those of you listening, in fact, my mom named me Catherine because it means strong willed and determined from my entrance into the world. And it has uh, very much sort of carried me through this lifetime of strong will and determination. But anyway, yes. So school to that role. Yeah. So when you weren't that kid, that performer kid, ending up in that role, what was your comfort level with it? Oh, I was was terrified. I mean, I was 14 years old. Scarlett Johansson played the lead girl. She was 12. And I remember thinking, you know, when I first met her, like, oh, I'm a few years older, you know, we'll be in this together. And like, she started acting it like, I mean, truly, I think she was three when she started acting. So she was like a veteran. She's like, I've seen some shit, kid. Oh, totally, totally. And so that, I thought, oh man, like I just felt even more intimidated. But she was lovely because she really very much kind of taught me a thing or two in that first role. And I just wanted to watch her. In any situation where I'm like experiencing something new, I just try and like be very silent and watch, (laughs) try to pick things up really quickly. Because I felt like, and I, I think a lot of actors feel this way for a long time, 
you you do have the sort of imposter syndrome where you're like, when is everyone going to figure out that I do not know what I'm doing? And so I felt that was like my first experience on set. But I also just like fell in love with it so much because I'm an only child and I moved around a lot as a kid. And I, I just never felt, I really never felt like I fit into the norm, you know, like I never like clicked. I yeah, mean, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Whatever that but is. But it's a sort I mean, of a sanction the... norm in, in high school. It's like a very, like, this is the thing. And yeah. at that age, you just want to fit in, you know? And, and you'll know this about me. Like, I never liked clicks. I always felt like a, a real, I, I very much sort of resisted that sort of mean girl, like popularity thing. And I was a bit of an outsider and a loner, like growing up. So that when I was on set for the first time, I felt like I really found my community in which I fit in. Like, I was like, oh, my heart feels at home. And so, I just never looked back. And so I did a few little bit parts throughout high school, graduated high school. And then the first big crossroads in my life was, you know, I was very academic in school and ended up, you know, getting into Princeton. And I'm sorry, what? I'm sorry, what? What was it? Oh, gosh. You're so, no, you're going to make me shy. Princeton? Princeton? Oui, oui. Oh, Princeton. Sorry. Oui. Princeton. Gosh, she got into Princeton. Okay. No, my okay. God. I'm just going to whisper it. Uh, what happened then? <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm setting the dork. I really am. Like, I love learning. I still read so much. I'm super curious. And that's like never, never ended. Um, but I, I loved, I loved the arts. I felt throughout my, you know, middle school, high school years that I was straddling these two worlds so that when I graduated, I know I wasn't going to be able to do both. So I, I decided to defer a year, move to LA at 18, like all on my own. And I thought if I give this one year and nothing happens, I'll go back to school and, I'll, and that will be my path. I'll graduate and I'll see what happens after that. And, uh, you know, moved to LA, you know, and remember this was 2001. I moved in August and September, you know, a few weeks later. It all happened. September 11th. So it was, it was a really... Wild time to be living alone for the first time at that age. with that mm-hmm. at that age and all that happening. So there I was, sort of in my little studio apartment, going on you know five, six, seven auditions a day, just kind of hustling it. And at first, I was receiving, and I'm sure you'll relate to this, like a lot of like a lot of what <laughs> the perception of what a blonde is. Oh, sure, right. A, a so it's like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Just brilliant. Yeah. Uh, so I was getting a lot of these sort of either like mean girl roles or, um, like very vapid roles or just the sort of like typical one dimensional version of what a, a stupid blonde would be. And I was very disheartened. I was really, really disheartened that I just thought, man, this might not be for me. And then I was sent a script to read called Blue Crush. And while I had never surfed in my life, <laughs> like literally, <laughs> literally had never touched a surfboard. God. Yeah. That sounds sensible actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know I, but I knew this girl, I knew her once in a while in your life as a, as an artist, as an actor, you read a role and there's just like this lightning rod affinity of like, this is me. She is me. And as you can imagine, <laughs> you know, they, they were like, oh, of course you've never served perfect. <laughs> of course you've never <laughs> served you blonde. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's hard. But how long did that take you to learn to surf? And were you terrified? I would be flipping. The story goes, and it is a true story, that, you know, I auditioned numerous times and it was very clear that 
that, that I had an affinity for this role. And, and, you know, the powers that be were like, listen, we, we see it, we feel it. Unfortunately, there is a prerequisite of the skill of surfing in this role. And I said, well, I'm, I'm a champion equestrian. I know what it's like to balance on something I moving. Can, I can straddle. I, I can straddle. I can balance. I fall off often. I know that feeling. I'm not afraid. I mean, I, I really, you know, position myself as best as possible. And they said, listen, we, you know, we really need someone who knows the skill. So I said, well, what, what is your plan? And they said, well, we're going to find a real surf girl and we're going to hopefully find someone who can act. And I said, well, how long is that process going to take? And they sort of thought that three or four weeks to sort of cast the net out and find, find someone. And back in the day, kiddos, we had something called the yellow pages. <laughs> if you recall, if you excavate under various Egyptian temples, you will find <laughs> a large book. Pages are yellow with small type. Yes. And so I, I leafed through these yellow pages and I found a surf instructor out of Malibu. And I called him up and I said, look, I need to learn how to surf in three to four weeks. Can you help me? He sort of laughed because he didn't really understand. But he, but I said, look, I really do. You know, I'm an actor. I want to, I, I need this role. And he said, well, you're going to have to come every day for like 10 hours. I mean, he's like, this is the, the steepest learning curve for any sport, you know, this and ballet. So literally, you know, eight to 10 hours a day, I was driving to Point Doom and committed myself to the three to four weeks. And then after that, I sort of implored, you know, everyone to come watch me surf and come, come. I really thought that I was going to have this sort of like quintessential heroic moment of like, you know, this, these four weeks that I've, I've learned, I've mastered it and the role is mine. And there was a, a neutral surf instructor there and he had taken me out and I just like, I just ate shit, you know, <laughs> over and over and over and over again. I mean, it was, it was sad. <laughs> it was really sad. And yet, and yet, remember, I'm also the four-year-old who said, I'll get back on. We finally, after hours, came in and thanked everyone for their time. And the surf instructor came in and sort of spoke to the director and the producer. And they said, well, what do you think? And remember, this is, you know, 20 to $30 million movie mm. betting on and a girl. Especially 20 is, or 20 years ago. Yeah. Yes. Betting on a girl who is unknown, who is 18 and who has never surfed to be the lead in a big wave surf movie, you know? Yeah. And, I, I take a second opinion. <laughs> And they said to him, what do you think? And he said, what I can tell you is that you will not find someone more determined. Exactly. And I, I'm curious about you. Be, you experienced huge celebrity at a very young age. And a lot of that is what you can't control or you can't determine your way through or out or around. With like, you know, a decent amount of hindsight now, how did you survive? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. You know what? I do love having hindsight to that now because it was so intense and overwhelming. And and actually you hit the nail on the head and that for someone who, you know, likes to control things mm. and who um, has a vision and who will, will really throw herself into anything to like achieve a goal when something that is so, so out of my control and, and, and remember, like, you know, me, like as much as I'm in the spotlight, I'm not someone who particularly really loves that sort You're of... You're not on a red carpet blowing a kiss over your shoulder. But not lately. But it was a really, really hard time, Laura, to be honest. And I did not know how to handle that at all. And I also did not know how to really communicate through that very well to like support systems or to my friends or to my family. I have so much empathy for 
young people because I was very hard on myself at the time. And, you know, people love to talk about my frame. And then in particular, I was like losing a lot of weight because I was really under a lot of scrutiny and I was so stressed and spun out that if you see images of me, then it's like seeing someone under duress. You know what I mean? And I, and I think that, um, a lot of times like people in the spotlight get this sort of thing, like, well, that's what you chose. And, uh, that's, that's, that's what it is. But remember I was a few years out of high school, like a public high school. There was like 70 kids who graduated in my class in a public high school that tells you how small my town was. And so when you take a small town kid, who's like, has a high school boyfriend and who's like drinking beers with her friends and hanging out in the woods and telling ghost stories and whatever you do. And then all of a sudden there's like this intense amount of scrutiny and criticism and like, I hate her. She's so annoying. Why didn't she smile like this? Blah, blah, blah. It's so heartbreaking. I mean, it really is. I felt like I wanted to disappear. I really did. Did you fail to modify behaviors according to other people's expectations or were you just still trying to drive your own car in in the way that you normally would but did you feel yourself getting sort of addled I felt a lot of like not to sound like too kind of hippy dippy but I you do feel a lot of like energy coming at you when there's people all over the world like talking about you thinking about you and this is like I, I saw this video of I think you did as well of Lindsay Lohan recently on Letterman yeah the early 2000s was a time of I think there was a real kind of cruelty you know, there's and a weird, like, cruelty. Yes. And, and I really didn't know how to handle it because I put my hands up and I say I am flawed in many ways, but I'm 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 not a mean person, you know. And so to have it happen to me in that way, it was just overwhelming. When I look back on photos of myself, like paparazzi photos, for example, I was very rarely smiling. I was very sort of straight faced and I looked very serious and a lot of that was because I felt like I was like holding my breath and I just wanted to run through it as best as possible. But that gave me like an enormous amount of knowing of myself. Like when you kind of get through something that's just very, very challenging, you do, you know, get through something like that with knowing of yourself that just expands your perspective, expands your heart. I gained an enormous amount of empathy. and. and hear me talk a lot about mentorship. And I know you're, you and I are similar this way where, you know, I, I see the young ones and I see the pressure that they're going through. And I can't, I cannot imagine with Instagram now and this sort of like unattainable, crazy amounts of perfection that are, that are put out there that we all know aren't real. Like we all know it's not real, you know, I mean, it's real for me, but not maybe no one else. (laughs) I think back to that 2021 year old I mean, I have a stepdaughter who's 23 and it was interesting, honestly, Laura, to watch. I became a stepmother when she was 12 and I remember the startled reaction that I had when she started to like turn 18, 19, 20, 21. And I thought to myself, oh man, you were a kid. You didn't, you didn't know because at the time when you're that age, you're like, I know everything. I should be able to handle this. I was super hard on myself that I was even feeling vulnerable and I, I didn't, it would have behooved me to have said, I'm, I'm really struggling. I had an amazing counselor therapist who I, I feel like I am the person I am today because of her guidance. Um, it, you just, it, you just only have a certain amount of days on the planet. You know, that was my, I mean, my question. How did you start 
what age and how when how did you start to see through that and what did what did you when you know is things that you could control professionally for example like beginning to start talking about producing that kind of stuff so tell me how that sort of steadied your ship well, what was interesting is that I've always wanted to produce when I was, I think I was 20 or 21, I optioned the rights to a book and really tried to get it made. I ultimately wasn't able to, but also it, this was a time where there wasn't a whole lot of openness or people weren't very receptive to a 20, 21 year old girl saying, Hey, I have an idea. I'd like to make this, <laughs> you know, but thank God we've made strides that we have. You see many young girls now producing or being a part of the sto- their their own stories in a greater way. So I'd always wanted to produce and I'd always had that kind of fire to be a part of production rather than a limited amount. But I'd say I started really coming into my own 25, 26, 27. And then, you know, really what was so pivotal was meeting Michael. Right. You know, I was... Husband. My, my husband, Michael Polish, who's truly, and I don't say this because I'm his wife, but he really is a brilliant filmmaker and... It has such a unique perspective. Welcome back to Ladies First with me, Laura Brown. I'm just chatting with Kate Bosworth about how she met her excellent husband. These two... While the rest of us were making sourdough or trying to during COVID, made a 10-episode series. But I'll let it tell you. I was 28 when I met him, and I I was having a a difficult time with my relationship to my career because I was feeling perhaps a little bit jaded by the industry. And And I just, the truth is, I always come at things with a lot of purity. And so sometimes that engine of just wanting to move things forward and wanting to to just make things it's it's a lot it uses a lot of your of your energy a lot of your your desire to do something you know and when when there's constantly sort of blockades because of whatever reason you just kind of think what am i doing no but i think i think you're so proud and you're so invested in having ownership over something now when when in years past you didn't and little bits of you were just carried away by other people so tell me about the allure of that, of being able to have control that this is a story, I'm going to make it, and it's mine. Well, I was putting, I think, a lot of that power in other people. And remember, this was also the time where like Harvey Weinstein was like anointing people. It's not so mysterious to see how a young woman would be just very deflated at this point. Oh, hugely, yeah. So I met Mike, and he was so great because he had made a career of making movies that were from concept to delivery. He had an idea, he would write a script, he would make them, they would become films, you know? And so he was the first person in my corner who really said, oh, but you can do anything you want. Sometimes it takes someone to sort of look outside of you, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, and I, and I said, yeah, but how? Because I try and blah, 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 blah. And he goes, no, 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 no. Here, I, you know, let, let, let me help you. And he really did become sort of a mentor to me as well as, you know, a best friend and a lover, but he really did become a mentor to me. I feel like he still is. That relationship is sort of segued now really into like a very firm partnership, but you know, he's 14 years older than me. He'd been doing this for a a lot longer than I had. And he just really took me by the hand and said, we've got this, you've got this. So tell me about this series you just casually shot. The rest of us will be just like, well, you know, we've we've had our jobs and we've been doing stuff, but like, 
they went to Montana in the middle of COVID and just like didn't just shoot like an episode or something. Shot how many episodes? Ten. Ten. Yeah. A ten episode series. You know, just just went and did that. And I would be like just texting, going, "Hey, you want to have lunch in town? No, I'm in Montana making a ten episode series." That's actually a great story and a great example of sort of how Michael and I work together. So we we met, we married, we started a production company called Make Pictures, and we've we've made quite a few things. But as as the pandemic hit and we knew that our industry, like many industries, was going to come to a halt, that if we wanted to make something, we were really going to have to hand make something, you know? And luckily, I live with someone who's a writer, a director, a producer. So he wears many hats to be able to, to make something. And he, he had a project that originally had starred a man. A man? A man, a man. Dear God, someone give a male star a chance. <laughs> yeah, really, they need it. <laughs> and, and he and he came, you know, he came home one day and he said, "I had this all wrong." He said it would be so much more interesting for a female to lead this this project. And he said, I'm, "Would you be interested?" Now, I had been conceptualizing and working on this with him for some time, so I was very, very intimate with what he was doing. And I was like, "Oh my God, are you serious?" Yes, it's like a dream role. So tell the name and the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. So she's really just called the woman, you know, first. There's a lot of mystery behind this character. She's called that bitch. <laughs> yeah, she really should be, actually. Yeah. But it's a Western noir, you know. It's a very sort of stylized, almost kind of nod to comic book setting. We shot this in Montana. The character is, she's an, she's a female assassin, but she's, she has a lot of empathy. She's almost more of a, like a pastor in many ways, you know, and how she kind of relates to the people that she comes across. Before she kills them. Yeah, yeah exactly. No, okay. Did I get it wrong? <laughs> no, no, you're right. She, each episode opens with, you know, a knock on the door and she says, I'm here to help with your transition. And the person on the other end of the door knows who she is and she's essentially like the angel of death and so we follow the the last conversation that someone will have before they die and all of the victims are sort of interwoven together into this sort of big reveal it it, it was really an amazing project to make and we we were able to make this because you know we we raised independent financing to make the whole season. And just to make something from that way around, rather than, you know, at the time when you when you made it, well, it didn't have a deal with a streamer or a network or anything, but you got the money either way, which is amazing. I mean, Michael and I, I think what really binds us, other than creativity, is innovation. And this was sort of the, like, ultimate example of creating something and bringing people together in a very compromised time. That's, that's one word for it. What are you, what are you most confident in ability-wise and what are you least? I'm most confident in, I, I won't stop until something's done. The Terminator. <laughs> yeah. I have a pretty relentless drive. One of the things I'm learning, and I suppose this is the second part of your question, is patience. I'm not someone who that, patience comes to naturally. But I have found, you know, again, being at 38, that the blend of the two is really where a lot of magic can happen. That special source. How do you, uh, how ambitious are you? And what are you ambitious for? I would say ambitious is like one of the top words to describe me, honestly. And I'm someone who's always said that ambition, I don't find ambition to be a dirty word. I never have. Me neither. Nope. I was raised by parents who put all their attention on me as the only child and said, 
every single day of my life, my dad said to me, look in the mirror at the end of the day and say, I did the best that I could. I mean, but they, both of them instilled this drive for results. I'll say to be successful, but I don't know if success is really the right word as it is to, to achieve the things that you want to achieve. And whether that means like moving the dial, or if, even if that changes throughout your life, that's okay. But to be able to look at yourself every day and said, I did the best that I possibly could. What do you want to do or build going forward? I will tell you that this is something else that was born out of, you know, staying at home during the pandemic and thinking about what I could contribute or what I could do. I've been thinking about this idea for sort of a destination at first, my little corner of the internet, right after my grandmother passed. And she was a real important influence in my life. And when she passed, there was this sort of devastating moment of, you know, needing to participate in life and emails and business and whatever that might be, but feeling so detached from everything. And I thought, why do I feel so detached? And I thought, well, because I'm not able to communicate in a way that feels, and this is an overused word, but I'm going to use it, but like very authentic. And I thought what that means is sort of vulnerability. I'm like a pure disciple from the Brene Brown world. I love her, you know, her books on vulnerability because within the first sentence, she's like, I'm a self-admitted, terrible, vulnerable person. (laughs) Badass. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Um, But but she also understands the, the, the necessity for it, you know, to be able to be the strongest you can be to be the truest form of you and the 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 power that comes from that is pretty astonishing i i put a lot of my vulnerability through my characters but it seems like that's always somewhat of an armor you know i'm like living as somebody else and i thought i really want to be able to communicate as me and that was pretty nerve-wracking i felt like i was sort of stepping off a cliff a little bit but in a good way i'll give you a great michael polishism that i'm it, within this kind of new found vulnerability. I feel like I'm free falling. He said, you know, babe, sometimes it's a nice thing to feel the wind against your face. That's very profound. And also for Michael, that's something that could be printed. On a t-shirt even. (laughs) (laughs) I'm definitely a person, Laura, to be honest, who like resists anything that I don't like to feel. And so that vulnerability will be put into that category. So I have to work really hard at recognizing that it's something that either makes me anxious or I feel like I'm going to fail at, or I feel like I'm not going to be good at and say, okay, well, what is that really about? And like lean into it rather than just like run from it. Here I am just going into Kate's Kate's head right now. And it's terrifying. Just kidding. It's lovely. And um, to come from, from from a kind place. And I think that that's where you, you have created everything you have and how you've stood out. Thank you. I love things that are transformative or somewhat of a somewhat of a sort of revolutionary aspect to it. And I'm certainly not suggesting that that's me, but I do love the idea that kindness can be, you know, perceived as cool. And it doesn't have to be this sort of saccharine sort of thing that is resisted. I mean, you and I always talk about, there's this great Matt Matt Haig quote that I love so much where he says, you know what I'm going to say? It says, head for the warm people. You'll be cool when you're dead. I mean, it's sort of how we started this dialogue, which is like, we, we recognize the warmth in each other and like always run towards the warm people. And that's so important. Like for any of the little Smurfs listening to this, who are, who are listening to a Hollywood lady and a fashion (laughs) lady and have a conversation. It's so important guys. There's no one in these businesses is better than you. We're in the business of mythology and it's lovely to have beautiful things and tell beautiful stories. And that should always be that. 
but don't lose your head to it and, and don't envy anyone. Any single person that you could cite that you think has got, got it made, there's a million things that they don't. And when that can become kindness and being able to tell a story, it can become your currency. I have found that the the industries that we're in, and I and I and I do love them so much. I love the creativity and and the fantasy and all the the beautiful things that come from it. But there can be an element of like high school never leaves you, you know. So like if there's someone who's perceived to be like, oh, I'm super cool and you're not cool, guess what? They're probably really insecure. And anybody who cares about that is insecure. You know what I mean? I know we all have had our head turned by by thing, uh, this and that, but I, I'm so glad personally that I, I didn't physically come from this world. And, and so that helps. But like, God, guys, just try and see around things. It will do you no end of good. You've got to always, always stay true to the heart source. Like period. 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 Okay, wait. Last thing we do is called 10 firsts. You ready? Okay, first drink you order. I drink beer. What's your beer? I love a great... This is going to sound like so douchey. (laughs) I love a great, slightly citrusy, crisp Belgian beer. That's my favorite drink. Like, there's a, there's a Goose Island beer called Sophie that's very good. Okay, next. First thing you look at on your phone in the morning. So actually, the first thing I do now, and this, this was a new thing from when the pandemic hit. I, I'd never meditated in my life, Laura. I was like a self-admitted horrible meditator slash thought it was like super cheesy. You know, <laughs> I mean, I did. I judged it. No, I'm with you. Mm-hmm. But a very good friend of mine gave a few of her friends challenges when everyone went into lockdown thinking psychologically, what will they need? And she gave me a month long, every single day meditation challenge. And it changed my life. So you go to a little app or something? Yeah. So I actually, you would like this app. It's an app called 10% happier. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Cause I don't want to be 11% happier. I just, just 10, just 10. So actually the creator of it is a journalist and he had an anxiety attack on air. And he was introduced to meditation. And so this app, 10% Happier, is a meditation app for skeptics. And so I tried it. And every single morning now, with very rarely do I miss this, I go to my app and I meditate. How long for? It can vary. I mean, this morning I meditated for 15 minutes. Sometimes I just meditate for five. Okay. First person you call. It's going to be my husband. Do you actually still call each other on the phone? Well, I guess you're just leaving each other's face every day right now. So it's not like... It would either be Michael or my my friend who gave me the meditation challenge. Her name is Stephanie Watson, and she's uh, she's a very good friend of mine and just brilliant. So it would have to be one one of those two. One of those two. Okay, you ready? First joke you remember? I don't have the jokes, man. You have the jokes. You don't have one. It's like a kid that is some dumb joke you you learn as a kid. I'm not good with jokes. Okay, well, what makes you what what makes you laugh on like social? I I mean I'm like so old school. I love like the uh, who is it the New Yorker who does the cartoons and especially the ones that I don't quite see at first. Right, and then they worm in. And yeah, you go, and you're like ah, genius. yes, yes, genius. I know that's funny. You know who like, I also really appreciates those. That's funny because Jen Aniston, who hasn't even been on Instagram that long, but she just posts tons of New Yorker cartoons. Really <laughs> I love that. I can, just, I can just imagine her just sitting at home with the dogs going. Hey, hey. <laughs> she probably is, by the way, with her with her cute little glasses. 
just being cute and laughing and reposting yoga coaches. Okay, first fashion splurge and most treasured fashion possession. <laughs> this is really going to date me, but I, I think I know I was in high school. I had just done some job that had paid me a little bit of money. And I went to sort of one of the fancier boutiques in Boston where, where I lived. So I'm, I'm from a small town just outside of Boston. It's like 40 minutes in the Boston. So I remember like, you know, going into town, going to this shop and Stella McCartney for Chloe and Phoebe. Oh, the best. And you're still such a Chloe girl. I mean, I will always be a Chloe girl. I love You have been so Chloe. consistent. And most, most treasured fashion possession. I mean, I obviously my wedding dress, you know, so which was also well, Oscar De Laurent to design it, but I believe it was the second to last. I think I was behind a mall Clooney for, oh, wow. But for wedding gowns that was designed by him personally. Okay. No offense to Michael Polish, but first date. Gosh. Uh, first ever date. I was never a good dater. My first real boyfriend. I had an enormous crush on someone in high school that was just beyond absurd. Um, that didn't work out. <laughs> and then I was a freshman. He was a junior. It was very, very like devastating. And I was so dorky, you know, but then I quickly realized, oh no, I should date someone younger. Then I can be the cool one. So when I was a son, hey now. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. You got, you took a page out of that book. So <laughs> I ended up dating when I was a sophomore, I ended up dating a, a freshman, lovely, lovely, lovely lovely boy named Nick. He's still a very dear friend of mine. Hello, Nick. <laughs> he's he's going to get Shout out to Nick. <laughs> Woohoo. Nick, <laughs> Nicky B. He's such a kind, loving human. And we're still very, very good friends. I've met both of his babies and his beautiful partner. You both took different waves, man. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful I did there? Okay. First thing you turn on TV. Uh... <laughs> This is going to be so revealing. Michael and I really enjoy local news. So in in LA, it's KCAL. So we watch KCAL. And there's this really funny weather girl named, we call her Evie, Evelyn Taft. She's so like cool and and quirky. And Michael and I always watch KCAL and watch Evelyn Taft to see the weather. And say, Los Angeles, today's going to be sunny. And then she she just plays that on repeat until she turns into ash. Okay. First thing you do or eat if you're stressed out? When I'm stressed, I really have a hard time eating, to be honest. What I do love to eat, and I have at least once a week, I'm a real burger connoisseur. I love, love, love a good cheeseburger. And I have one at least once a week. There's a place in LA called Burgers Never Say Die that I'm obsessed with. And they know me. They're like, oh, there's great once a week. Um, I'm a huge fan of Shake Shack, obviously. It's always, always delish. There's a place, I don't, I think it's only in LA that they have hi-ho. Hi-ho, hi-ho, <laughs> it's off to meet we go. Okay, uh, for, I didn't ask this one. Okay, this is important. First time you owned your shit. Meaning like, so what do you mean by owned your shit? Like owned- It could be personally, it could be professionally, some, some sort of bridge you crossed when you were like, I'm not doing that anymore, or I know what I'm doing, or enough of this carry on, I know what's up. Yeah, I'm going to veer from you and not say the first, but re- recently. I had a pretty big, I'm owning my shit moment. I I had someone say to me, um, I was essentially communicating that I wasn't receiving enough communication in our business. Right. And the response was, you are a woman in your thirties. And basically that's a very difficult 
person to, to represent, to get work for. What? <laughs> yeah, I knew you were gonna. I knew you were gonna have a reaction to that one. And I thought, and and I, Still? I well, I mean, sadly, Still? what did you say? Well, I made a decision to just move a lot of things around in my life. I think it's really, really important to say this, that the most challenging moments for me have been the ones where I have really flipped the narrative, where I have found the most strength. I've realized, oh, uh, actually, no, I'm sorry, I won't accept that. And I'm going to actually change things in my life so that I feel the people who are, you know, working with me and supporting me are seeing a different kind of landscape. And not just for me, but for women in general. I, I keep talking about ownership all the time now. It's just like, own your work, own your experiences, own... If, if, if that's it says the real thing that is the gift of aging is you build this little... So you every experience is a little brick, and then you suddenly you have this little kind of house that you make of your own experiences in your own life. And to be to be asked to to have any of that negated or minimized, correct, or is is so wildly offensive. It was really interesting because it penetrated me, but it didn't um, it it didn't affect me in a way that you think it might. Because didn't like like knock you down? No, it didn't knock me down. It sort of clarified things for me. And, and also I thought to myself, well, I'm happiest at 38. I'm most empowered at 38. I feel best at 38. So thanks very much, but I'm going to take that and uh, own it. Last one. The first thing you'll do when, thankfully, we're nearing the end uh, of this, I, hopefully, uh, when COVID is done, the first thing you'll do when you can live life as freely as you might like. I really miss the the physicality of like holding people hugging people touching people going back to you and i being like the epics mounting the, the, <laughs> yeah i'll just i'll just say that whatever i, I miss mounting people <laughs> <laughs> i shall mount again kate bosworth said as she rode off and said i shall mount again and i shall mount many i i will i want to mount you soon laura brown This has been Ladies First with Laura Brown. We can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to our production team at Pod People, Rachel King, Matt Savarese, Danielle Roth, Anne Ford, Anne Kane, and Erica Wong. And thanks to Brian Anstey, Molly Stout, and Hayley Mason at InStyle. You can find out more at InStyle.com. Find us on Instagram at InStyle Magazine, on Twitter at InStyle, and you can find me on Insta and Twitter at LauraBrown99.